Welcome to the Harbor City Church Podcast. This week, we have something very special for you. We are going to go through Holy Week together. Um, In John's Gospel, the the Gospel writer John gives half of his Gospel to the last week of Jesus' life, what Christians have called Holy Week. And so we've created a prayer guide, a devotional guide, and some sermon resources for you to journey with Jesus through Holy Week. Each day, we will post a sermon corresponding to the reading and the guide so you can go deeper. Let's go deeper together. Harbor City Church, happy Wednesday of Holy Week. We are in John chapter 16, verses 1 through 33 today, and the title of our sermon today is called The Heart of Jesus He Has Overcome. I want to remind you, you know, the reason that we're entitling this sermon, uh, actually all these sermons for these four days in Holy Week, is that we're calling it The Heart of Jesus because this this long discourse, you know, if you're reading your Bible and you have red letters in your Bible through John 13 through 17, you see just almost nothing but red letters, where it's Jesus talking to his disciples on the week before his crucifixion so that he could prepare them for what was to come. And so it really is the heart of Jesus that is being revealed to us. And uh, when we come to John chapter 16, like we do today, we come to the truth that he has overcome. And let me um, introduce this topic by telling you a quick story. In 1976, a man named Ronald Wayne had had enough He had invested in this small startup, and since the other two members of the company were both young and broke, Wayne figured that if the company went south, he was going to be the one bearing the financial cost of the failure. So with the fear of the company falling in the forefront of his mind, he went to his typewriter and he drew up a contract that sold his 10% stake in the company for just $800. Fast forward almost 50 years, and Wayne's decision is now seen as one of the most costly decisions anyone has ever made. Wayne's $800 of 10% equity in that small startup today would be be worth close to $100 billion with the B dollars. This is in a company, by the way, you might have heard of called Apple. Now, it's safe to assume Wayne has had a few regrets as he looks back on his life. But from our perspective, we almost laugh as we think about how crazy that story is. Any one of us, knowing what we know now, would never have sold that stock. It didn't matter what type of doubts we had in our co-founders of the company. It didn't matter if we really needed the $800. It didn't matter, you know, if we had just had a really bad day. We would, regardless of the circumstances, there was no way any of us would ever have sold that stock, not in a million years. You know, as we come to John 16 on this Wednesday of Holy Week, I want to suggest to you the words of Jesus to, the, to his disciples present a similar kind of epiphany. Jesus tells the disciples, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Here's the guarantee. I have overcome the world. Jesus wants his disciples to know that no matter how hard it gets, the outcome is sure. The return on their investment is guaranteed. Jesus tells them before the tribulation comes because he knows that they're going to he knows that they're going to be tempted to quit. They're going to be tempted to give up their share to sell out and see what else is out there for them. But no one is crazy enough to sell out if they know the end result is worth every hardship and worry and stress that will come. 
And this is the amazing truth that we come to examine today in the heart of Jesus. Jesus has overcome. Let's dive into today's passage. I'm going to start with verse 1 of chapter 16. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. He has overcome, therefore do not fall away. So as we examine the opening verses right here of John chapter 16, let us remember that our Savior in his infinite wisdom and love speaks these words to fortify, to make strong the hearts of his disciples and to prepare them for the trials that are, that are to come. This is, is actually a, a triumphant message that Jesus imparts to his disciples. In other words, that I have overcome. Um, and because I have overcome, disciples, you should not fall away. Do not fall away. I have overcome. In verse 1, Jesus declares, I've said all these things to you. Why? To keep you from falling away. Jesus, fully aware of this impending storm of persecution and suffering, wants to anchor his disciples' faith firmly in the knowledge of his promises and his victory over the world. He does not leave them in ignorance, but equips them with the truth that they might stand firm and not waver in the face of adversity. This is the very first thing he says. The obvious temptation every follower of Jesus will be faced with at some point in time in any day and age will be to fall away. It may not come in the form of persecution, beatings, or burnings at the stake, but the temptation will still come. It might, might come in the form of a compromise you're tempted to make in your job. It might come in the form of a relationship that you want to pursue that's outside of God's good design. It might be as small as wanting to lie or cheat when no one is watching and no one will ever find out. Jesus knew the temptations would come for his followers. He knew the world would try and pull you, his follower, away from him. So he begins this entire chapter by exhorting the disciples not to do what the world is trying to get them to do. Jesus doesn't want us either to fall away because he has overcome. In verses 2 and 3, Jesus unveils the stark reality of the persecution that awaits his followers. This is how he describes what's going to happen. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Here, Jesus warns his disciples that they will face rejection, not only from the world, but from the religious establishment, even to the point of death. You know, the persecutors, blinded by their ignorance of the true God and his son, Jesus Christ, will be convinced that their violent actions are a service to God. Now, how many of us know that the worst kind of persecution often comes from people waving the banner of Christianity? The most violent opposition, the most militant rejection often comes from people who think they are doing the will of God, but have gone off track. We can think of Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or branches of Roman Catholicism. We can think of theological liberalism or even uh, Christian modern secularism. All of these groups want to claim Jesus and wave his flag, subjecting his teaching to their agendas. And for those who are faithful to Jesus, these groups persecute those who are faithful to Jesus. Um, to, to follow Jesus faithfully means that you will be at odds with others, and that's exactly what Jesus says here, but he doesn't leave us to dismay. In verse 4, Jesus provides the antidote for despair, but I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The omniscient Savior has graciously foretold the coming trials so that in the midst of affliction, his disciples may remember his words and take heart. The knowledge that Jesus has already foreseen 
and prepared them for the tribulation will serve as a guard against doubt and despair. It reinforces their faith in the Savior. Family, he said those words so you too would remember his words and take heart. Harbor City Church, remember these words spoken by our Lord and Savior. It's not just the disciples who would face these types of trials. We face trials and tribulations. And so may we hear the words of our Savior and remember that Jesus has overcome the world and that through faith in him, we too can overcome. Let not our hearts be troubled, for our Savior has already prepared the way for us in the midst of our affliction. Let us hold fast to his promises, rejoicing in the sure knowledge that we serve a risen, victorious King. Therefore, church, do not fall away. Instead, let us stand firm on the solid rock of Christ, trusting in his victory and his abiding presence as we press onward in faith, because we know that the one who has overcome the world will never leave us or forsake us. Amen and amen. Man, that's good. We now turn our attention to the next portion of John chapter 16. This is where Jesus continues to reveal his compassionate heart and his divine plan for his disciples. In these verses, we'll find encouragement and strength in the message, he has overcome, therefore we get a helper. He has overcome, therefore we get a helper. Pick, pick me up in verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He has overcome, church, therefore we get the helper. In verses 4 through 6, Jesus addresses the sorrow that has filled the disciples' hearts as he speaks of his departure. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, here's here's where it comes in. Sorrow has filled your heart. You know, our our loving Savior acknowledges the grief of his disciples and his tenderness. He's about to provide a divine remedy for their troubled souls. Nobody ever had empathy like Jesus. And unlike us, Jesus has a solution for every problem he has ever encountered. So he doesn't just stop at empathy. Look at what he says next in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus shows the glorious purpose of his departure. It is to our advantage, church, that Jesus ascended to the Father because he would send the Holy Spirit, the helper, to dwell within each believer. This divine comforter will guide, strengthen, and empower Jesus' followers, enabling them to live a victorious life in Christ. Now, we've already discussed at length the power and gift of the Holy Spirit given to believers in, in earlier sermons this week. So let, let me limit this to just kind of strictly what the text is speaking here. Jesus explains that the mighty work of the helper we get, and when he comes, what will he do? Jesus tells us he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. 
and then concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin and its need for a Savior. He reveals by doing so the righteousness of Christ, who has ascended to the Father, and he pronounces judgment on the ruler of this world, Satan, who has been vanquished by Jesus Christ, our conquering King. Listen, the world needs to know it's lost. And in case you're wondering, most people think they're fine. They think they're okay, that most people are good, that the world's an okay place that could use some steady improvement. This is why we need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God to do the supernatural work of changing sinners' hearts. Harbor City Church, let us rejoice in the truth that our Lord has overcome. And because of His victory, He has graciously given us the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We get a helper. As we face the challenges of this life, let us lean on the helper. We don't do this alone. We have the, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the, the, the one that Jesus has promised, has come to make his home with us and enable us to do what God wills for us to do. He enables us to walk through, walk alongside the footsteps of the Savior. So be encouraged this week, Holy Holy Week Wednesday. I don't know how your week is going. Maybe you're really discouraged. Maybe you know, you're listening to this podcast, trying to think of something positive this week, and in the middle of this podcast, I just wanted to tell you, man, God has sent a helper to you. Let us embrace the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, allowing Him to mold us into the image of Christ so that we can be a light to the world, testifying to the glorious victory of our risen Lord. As we continue to explore these, these riches of John chapter 16, let us now focus on the comforting message Jesus gives to His disciples and to us. He has overcome, therefore, your sorrow will turn into joy. This is verses 12 through 24. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me, because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew what they want, that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow, because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. He has overcome, therefore your sorrow will turn into joy. Here in verses 12 and 13, Jesus acknowledges that there are many things his disciples are not yet ready to bear. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. The Lord in his infinite wisdom knows the perfect timing for revealing truth. 
He assures his disciples that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will come and guide them into all the truth, providing divine insight and understanding. They can't handle it on their own, but through the help of the Holy Spirit, they will be able to handle it. In verses 16 through 18, Jesus speaks of his impending departure and return using the phrase, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again, a little while you will see me. Now, this statement, maybe rightly so, perplexes the disciples who don't yet grasp the full significance of his words. They're confused, and they're wondering what Jesus could be talking about. Jesus, knowing their confusion, he addresses their concerns directly. You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. He then uses the image of a woman giving birth to talk about what it will feel like, anguish for a short short time, and then joy upon seeing that a new child has been born. This is this illustration talks about this pain and sorrow giving way to the immense joy of welcoming a child into a family. In the same way, the disciples' sorrow at Jesus' death will be transformed into unspeakable joy at his resurrection. You know, I got to take a second and just pause and say, Harbor City Church, what, what sorrow do you have today as you listen to this message? What burdens your soul and makes your heart heavy? You know, Christian, I, I don't know of any better news than this. Your sorrow, not might, not may, not could, will be turned into joy. It's not a 75% chance of success. Your sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus promises that their joy will be complete through answered prayer in his name. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus assures them that their relationship with the Father will be forever changed. As they'll have direct access to him through prayer in Jesus' name, their hearts will be filled with joy. And so we too, we must take heart in the promise that our Lord has overcome. And because of his victory, our sorrow will be transformed into joy. And as we journey through all these trials that Jesus promises us, we remember that our Savior has already conquered sin and death. He will see us through our darkest moments and in his perfect timing, our sorrow will be turned into everlasting joy. Let us cling to the hope we have in Christ and walk in the power of his resurrection, trusting that our present sufferings are but a prelude to the eternal joy that awaits us in his glorious presence. I'm going to move to conclude right now the study of John chapter 16. I want to show you this final message, though, that Jesus is going to teach his disciples. He has overcome, therefore take heart. Verse 25 I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and I've come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not just using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He has overcome, therefore take heart. In verses 25 through 28, Jesus proclaims that the time will come when he will no longer speak to them in figures of speech, 
but he's going to reveal the truth plainly. Again, he said, the hour is coming. I'm not going to speak to you in figures of speech. I will tell you plainly about the Father. Jesus reassures his disciples that through his work, they will have direct access to the Father who loves them because they have loved Jesus and believe of his divine origin, that he came from the Father. Then in verses 29 and 30, the disciples express their understanding and belief, saying, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. They testify, in other words, to Jesus' divine knowledge and authority, acknowledging him as the Son of God. Then in verses 31 through 33, Jesus foretells the trials that await the disciples. He again says, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. In other words, the hour is imminent when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Despite their impending abandonment, Jesus remains resolute in his mission, confident in the Father's presence. Finally, Jesus offers these words of comfort and assurance, this bedrock, and this is like the entire main point of, of the sermon today. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the golden thread of truth that has woven its way through the entire passage of Scripture known as John 16. Jesus acknowledges the tribulations his disciples would face, yet will face, but he provides hope and peace in the midst of the struggles, for he has overcome the world. It's almost like he's saying, I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care if it looks like everything is going to fall apart. I don't care if the world turns on you, if other Christians turn on you. I don't care. Don't you sell out. Keep your stake in the game. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying, I have triumphed over sin and death in the world. In his great and boundless love, he descended from the splendor of his heavenly throne to take upon himself our human likeness, our human form. And in this, he became the very embodiment of divine grace. Through his life, his teachings, the profound sacrifice of his crucifixion, he bore the weight of our transgressions and conquered the suffocating grip of sin. And in so doing this, he granted us the path to salvation, leading us from darkness, from our fallen nature, to the radiant light of the eternal presence of God. This is what Jesus means when he says, I have overcome the world. You know, we can't forget the glorious resurrection that is coming where Jesus shatters the chains of death. He proves that he has dominion over the grave and all earthly powers. He now stands victorious, a beacon of hope and assurance for all who place their faith in him. Church, this is the risen Savior. This is the one who conquered. May we stand firm in the knowledge that the world, with all its trials and tribulations, has been vanquished by our King, who has promised us an everlasting inheritance in his kingdom. Therefore, be encouraged and take heart. Let us abide in Christ, our victorious King, drawing strength and peace from his enduring presence amidst the, tribu- amidst the tribulations of this world. Let us remember that we serve a risen Savior who has overcome, and in Him we find our refuge, our strength, and our hope. I want to recall your mind back to the beginning of the sermon. Imagine for a moment how different Ronald Wayne's life would be if he had never sold out. Imagine not just his life, but the life of his family, his grandkids, the businesses he was involved in. Everything would be different because of its connection to Ronald Wayne, but it's not because he sold out. What would people say about your life? 
Does the sphere of your life change everything it touches as a result of the victory we have in Christ? Does the power of the cross change your relationships, the way you work, the way you act, the way you think? Does it bring real, practical, visible change to bear in your life, or is it empty? Does it bear the marks of a sellout who's not living with that end in mind? Christian, we know how the story ends. Jesus has given us the final chapter. We have his words, his promises, the sure and steady foundation upon which we can stake everything else in our lives. Why would we ever sell out when we know the glory that awaits you? And this is the heart of Jesus in John chapter 16. He has overcome. As you go about your day today, respond to the call of our victorious Savior. We must not allow these powerful words to fade from our hearts and our minds but rather let them inspire and propel us deep into action. Let us fully surrender our lives to the leading of the Holy Spirit, our divine helper. May we be sensitive to his voice, allowing him to guide us in our thoughts and words and actions so that we may be a reflection of Christ's love and grace to the world. Let us embrace the transformative power of God in our lives, trusting that he will turn our sorrow into joy. And if you're in a place where you're experiencing these moments of pain and anguish, cling to the promise of joy that awaits us in his presence. And let that hope carry you through even the darkest of days. Let us take heart, Harbor City Church, and stand firm in our faith. As we face tribulation in this world, remember that our Savior has overcome, and we too can overcome through his strength. And may we boldly share the hope that we have in Christ, bringing light to a world that so desperately needs it. So I, I, I end this sermon by sending you, Harbor City Church, in the power and the assurance of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who has overcome the world. Rise up, transformed and strengthened by the truth we've received today, and may our lives be a testimony to the love, grace, and victory found in Christ alone. I'll see you guys tomorrow. <laughs>